Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for June 26th, the third Sunday after Pentecost. And today we'll be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. And really we're going to start earlier than that at the start of the chapter to kind of lay the context for this because this is a chapter that really illustrates what the kingdom of God is like in many ways. And it begins by focusing on on the topic of humility and on what's called the great reversal. The great reversal being a theme in the Gospels and especially in the Gospel of Luke, that the people you most expect to follow Jesus don't follow Jesus. And the people you least expect to end up in the kingdom of God, end up in the kingdom of God. And this lesson is no exception. So, to lay the groundwork for verses 15 through 24, we're going to start at verse 1 very quickly here. And verses 1 through 6 read like this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, this is Luke 14. Jesus is having a meal with a ruler of the Pharisees and other guests, other Pharisees, I assume. And this is taking place on the Sabbath day. This is the third time that Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath in the Gospel of Luke. And of course... The Sabbath is the day of rest where nobody is supposed to do any work. Doctors aren't allowed to work on the Sabbath because curing patients, that would be labor, that would be work. This is the third time Jesus heals somebody. First, in Luke chapter 6, he heals a man with a withered hand. Second, in Luke chapter 13, He heals a woman who is terribly bent over because she suffers from a disabling spirit. An evil spirit causes us this this bent over posture. And now we have this one where he heals this man who has dropsy. Each time the Pharisees are watching him, each time the Pharisees want a reason to accuse him and and charge him with, with violating the Sabbath. In Luke 6, when he heals men with a withered hand, they're, they're silent. They, they have nothing to say. The second time in Luke 13, where he heals a bent over woman, um, they're, they're angry. And now, once again, they end up silent. They could not reply to what Jesus says. Because Jesus asks them, if their son or their ox falls into a well on the Sabbath, are they going to let them drown? Or will they pull them out? And of course, the Pharisees would pull the son or the ox out of the well. If they failed to do so, they would break the fifth commandment by letting the son die. 
or they would break, I suppose, another commandment by letting the, the ox drown. And so because they want to keep their sons and their oxen, they would break the Sabbath to do the right thing, the life-saving thing. Now, if it's okay for the Pharisees to break the Sabbath to do these things, why can't Jesus heal the man with a withered hand or the woman with the bad posture or the man with dropsy on the Sabbath? Because he's not just doing the right thing. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. As the Son of God, he's the one who gave the commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy in the first place. He gave that Sabbath to men. Why can he not break the Sabbath, break his own law, or maybe better make an exception to his own law in order to deliver people from the consequences of sin? So this text is the third time we get the theme that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, who heals on the Sabbath. And even though he's the guest at a meal, he's the one who's really kind of hosting it by by helping this, this man who has dropsy. And so we have time and time again in Luke that Jesus eats with, with the Pharisees and delivers those who are afflicted with, with, uh, with miracles. And all this is pointing towards Luke 24, where Jesus dines with the two men in Emmaus and reveals himself there in the breaking of the bread. All right, so this, this sets the stage for our upcoming text where, where Jesus heals this man at this meal with all the Pharisees. And then we read in verses 7 through 11, Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, really, on on one level, Jesus' words are just good advice. First, he's speaking to the guests of this meal. He's advising them to be humble. It's always better to be humble than, than to be proud, because, of course, pride goeth before the fall. And certainly the Pharisees... And the lawyers who are at this meal, even if they chose the lowest seat of this meal, they're still proud because they consider themselves better, better than most of the rest of society. And they might, you know, have better personal hygiene and more wealth than many of the outcasts who are lying in the streets. But compared to God, they're nothing. And so the Lord advises them against pride, which will make them reject God and his grace and tells them to be humble. But more than that, while Jesus is giving good advice to them, he's really talking about himself. Because who deserves the place of honor at the meal most of all? It's got to be the Son of God in human flesh. 
And yet Jesus is the one who becomes flesh to serve. It's Jesus who takes the lowliest place on the cross before he is exalted to the place of honor in heaven, even at the Last Supper, as he's about to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, he's the one who takes off his outer robe. He's the one who washes his disciples' feet. He is the one who comes to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so in verses 7 through 11, Jesus, having healed the man in the first part of this chapter, he now tells the guests, advises them to be humble even as he is humble, humbling himself to the cross to save them and us. Then we get to the last three verses before our text, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus speaks to the host of the meal. We read, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this turns the social order on its head. Who would a Pharisee invite to dinner? Other Pharisees, other kind of happen in people in that culture and society, also those who are ceremonially clean. Jesus says, forget inviting them. Invite the outcasts. Invite the lame, the afflicted, the crippled. Invite those who are ceremonially unclean and have them at your dinner table. Why? Because then that meal will illustrate the kingdom of God where God has no use for those who trust in their own works. Instead, he invites sinners, outcasts, the unclean. And by the blood of Jesus, he makes them clean that they may dwell in his house forever. So here the Pharisees who claim to represent God to the people, they ought to be the ones who worship Jesus the most. And yet Jesus has to warn them to be humble, to, to, to love their neighbor, And soon he will tell them they're not going to be in the kingdom of God. Meanwhile, Jesus declares that the outcasts and the unclean, the afflicted, they'll be in the kingdom of God because they're the ones who will put their trust in him for help and salvation. All right, so now that Jesus has addressed the guests of the meal and the host of this meal, now we get to our text for the day. And this is verses 15 through 24, and it reads like this. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. 
And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. All right, so so really the pivotal verse of, of this chapter, of chapter 14, is verse 15. And that's when it dawns on someone at the table who says to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that is true. So the question is, who will be in the kingdom of God? Who will be at that feast? And so who will be blessed? Now, as I mentioned before, Jesus has had several meals with various people throughout the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, it will the, the gospel practically ends with the, uh, the dinner with the two disciples at Emmaus. And this is not something that just pops up in the gospel of Luke. In fact, several times in the Old Testament, we have prophecies of Jesus that are portrayed as, as banquets. So in Isaiah 25, verse 6, we hear, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. So it's this description of this this lovely, succulent, delicious feast of of more food than you could eat. And and what happens in, in, uh, in the next couple of verses? The host of that feast is the Lord God, and the host of that feast swallows up death forever. So in Isaiah 25, eternal life and salvation are pictured as the Lord destroying death and inviting his people to a banquet feast. Same thing in Isaiah 55, verse 1 there reads, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So there the Lord has food, a banquet feast, heavenly food, if you will. And people can buy it for free. It's without price. The Lord gives it to them. And so again, the Lord gives us salvation freely for the sake of Christ. That's another prophecy of Jesus. In Isaiah 65, we have kind of the anti-feast. For there are those who provoke the Lord. And he describes him in Isaiah 65, verse 4, as uh, those who eat pig's flesh and a broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. If they reject the Lord, there is nothing good left. They're on their own. And all they see, all they experience is corruption. Then we have uh, Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 6, um, just verses 1 and 2 here, 
Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Well, a little bit more. Let's go verses three through six. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So in this prophecy, we have wisdom. And of course, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Um, Wisdom prepares a feast and invites all people in to dine on the feast and to become wise and to live. So you see, time and time again in the Old Testament, salvation is is portrayed as, as the Lord hosting a feast. And now in this parable, in verses 15 through 24 of Luke chapter 14, we have Jesus giving a parable of the Lord hosting a feast. And so Jesus begins this parable by saying, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And so the Lord promises to do throughout the Old Testament, he promises to to save many by his mercy and grace. And so in verse 17, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they they all alike began to make excuses. Everything is now ready, says the servant of the feast. And you might think that's about the last day, but it's happening right then in Luke 24. Because the master, the king, and remember this is about who is in the kingdom of God. The king is at that table. The king is Jesus telling the story and he is saying, everything is ready now because I am here Follow me, believe in me, and be saved. In the parable, they all begin to make excuses. And and these, these are the first invitees. These are the ones you would expect to be there. And who would you expect to be in the kingdom of God? The cream of the crop of Judea, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They're the ones you'd expect to find in heaven. But instead of following Jesus, they make excuses. So that was that is what happens in this parable. We read in verse 18, the first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I mean, imagine a, a, a rich lord or a king invites you to a great banquet and your response is, I think I have to mow the lawn that day. These are not just excuses. These are not genuine reasons why they must miss the banquet. These are insults. They don't want to be in the kingdom if this is the king. And the Pharisees don't want to be in the kingdom of God if it means following Jesus. All right, so in the parable in Luke 14 here, um, the the top of the list guests have all declined to come and they've insulted the master of the feast. And in verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. 
Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. All right, so, so the servant is sent into the city where they live. So, so the master is still inviting kind of his own people, his own society there. But now it's the, the outcast, the poor, the crippled, the lame and unclean. Since those you expected to be there have refused, he brings in others you wouldn't expect. And here Jesus is telling the Pharisees, if you're not going to come into the kingdom of heaven, that's all right. I'm going to invite the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the afflicted, the injured, the sick, the unclean, and I will make them well and pure and clean and forgiven, and they will be at my banquet forever. In verse 22, the servant said to the master, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And in verse 23, the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. All right, so, so first the master reached out to the, uh, the outcasts of the city as Jesus has reached out to to the outcasts among the Jews. And now the master sends a servant out past the city gates and invites people that he finds in the highways and the hedges. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, not only will will I invite the outcasts of of your fellow Jews, I'm going to fill my kingdom with the Gentiles too. I'm going to have Gentiles sitting, sitting at my banquet table for eternity And then he ends this by saying in verse 24, For I tell you, says the master in the parable, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So here the Pharisees assume that they got a great seat at the heavenly table because of their their goodness, their self-righteousness. And Jesus says, you're not going to be there, but all all these others will be. Jesus' message to the Pharisees is that he has come to save sinners. And so he illustrates that in this parable by saying that that he will invite sinners into his kingdom, the outcasts, and he will invite them to a meal, to the banquet feast of heaven. So this this parable has a few themes to it. Uh, One is that, uh, that God's kingdom is given to outcasts. Again, this is the great reversal. The, uh, the ones you expect to be in the kingdom, the Pharisees who ought to know better, they're, they're cast out. Well, the outcasts are in because Jesus saves sinners. He makes them clean. He makes them his holy people. A second theme is the rejection of God's kingdom by official Judaism overlaps the first theme. Again, the Pharisees ought to believe in Jesus because they know the law so well, but they have no faith. And so essentially they are saying, if being in the kingdom of God and being blessed means following Jesus, we're not going that direction. And so a third theme is God's rejection of Israel. For God says, I've called you to be my people, but if you will not follow my son, then you are my people no more. And finally, the fourth theme, and the big one is this. 
The kingdom of God has arrived because the king is there. And those who reject him won't be in his kingdom. He won't force them to follow him in and sit at the table. But those who trust in him, no matter their sins, no matter their their afflictions, no matter their uncleanness and unholiness, Jesus will make them clean. Jesus will make them holy. And they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And again, while this is a in part about that heavenly feast to come, this is also true now. Because in this time, in this place, the Lord hosts a feast for us. Not big portions, but he gives us his holy, precious body and blood for the forgiveness of of, of our sins. And, And who kneels and receives that? Not those who say, I've earned the right to be God's people. Not those who say, I have made myself righteous enough to follow Jesus. No, that meal is for sinners. People who confess that they in no way deserve God's help. People who confess their unholiness, who trust that Christ has died for them. And Christ says to them, here's my body, here's my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there's also life and salvation And he is coming back in glory on the last day. So, as Jesus advised at the start of this chapter, rejoice in the gift of humility. Always examine yourself, confess your sins, trust in the Lord for for, for forgiveness, and rejoice. Jesus became flesh and brought his kingdom to you, that you might be forgiven, that you might sit at his table and dwell in his house forevermore. So that's a quick look at, at our text for this week. Again, our text proper is Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text further. God grants you every good gift if you are, if you are preaching this text to others. And until we speak again, every good wish in Christ, our King, crucified and risen again. The Lord be with you. Goodbye.